1: Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to this episode, number 92 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. For months now, that's the way I've been opening the conversations with guests that join us. I thought I'd start that way with you today. What's something you're grateful for in this moment? I love how many of you have and are incorporating gratitude into your daily lives and living an enriched life as a result. And I want you to know I'm incredibly grateful for you and I'm honored, truly honored when you step forward and identify yourself and invite me to engage in conversation with you around topics we've explored here on the podcast or really anything, because you are the essential element in these conversations. As corny as that might seem to you, it's not to me, nor is it to my delightful guest joining us today. Hey, and if you happen to be in the coffee line at this moment, you might not need that double or triple shot of espresso in your coffee because I've got it right here. Adair Cates, founder of First Lead You and host of The Morning Light Show, a podcast, is joining us. You might be asking, how did I meet Adair? Okay, so you weren't asking that. Let me tell you anyway. Tyler Adams. He's a loyal listener of this show, and he's the PR genius for Tiny Pulse that was our guest last week, David News, CEO there. Tyler insisted the two of us meet because he listens to both of our podcasts. And, well, let's just, as they say, the rest is history. After we did, there was an immediate connection. I've been a guest on The Morning Light Show. Now Adair's joining us because part of her work and brilliance Is in the area of employee experience and employee engagement, or more accurately, as you'll hear from Adair in just a moment, energy. Here we go. Hey, folks, uh, welcome to this episode. You already heard the preamble, but gosh, it is so exciting to have Adair Cates join us today on the Higher Purpose podcast. So, Adair, say hello. Good morning, everyone. That's right. We are recording this in the morning. And in case you can't,
0: tell. Adair and I are both morning people. We are morning people. And I think morning all the time because my podcast is in the morning and comes out in the morning and is intended to be listened to in the morning. So I say good morning, but good whatever time of day it is for you guys from this morning person. And I love it when I meet other morning people like Kevin.
1: That's right. Okay. So a little side note here. We have a granddaughter that's almost, she'll be four in July. And she was spending the night with us. And my wife's not a morning person. Emma is a morning person. She wakes up before six every day. And a few weeks ago, she was over here and she wakes up and Gwen's just kind of like, what's going on? And Emma goes, I'm a morning person, Nana. All day, every day. I'm a morning person. And then she says, Papa's a morning person. Daddy's a morning person. Nana, not a morning person.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love that. Oh my gosh, that's perfect.
1: Yeah, so here we are. We're doing this in the morning. We've got to give a shout out to Tyler Adams of Tiny Pulse. Yes. So this conversation isn't officially sponsored by Tiny Pulse today, but it's made possible by Tiny Pulse and Tyler Adams. So what do you want to say to Tyler?
0: Tyler, you are so awesome. From the moment I met you last year when I spoke at the Tiny Pulse Conference, TinyCon, and obviously before that, as we were in preparation, Tyler, you were just the ball of energy that I needed and that everybody in that conference needed to feel really connected to what the core of Tiny Pulse is all about, which is engagement and happiness in the workplace. So I am super grateful for. Tyler and all the energy that he is and brings to that organization and to the world. All right.
1: Thank you, Tyler. So before we, you know, we're just coming out of the gate hot here to this conversation, but I want to back up because I do this with every conversation. And to me, it's important. It's important to ground it in gratitude. So, Adair, in this moment, right now, what's something you're grateful for?
0: Oh, I'm super grateful for my dogs who are sitting in my office with me. They just are so sweet and loving. And if they go out of my office, they'll bark like crazy. But if they stay in here, and especially when I'm having good expansive conversations, they always just like kind of rest and go to sleep. So I'll just share a gratitude for my dogs and for the spring weather. I am loving these higher temperatures and just being able to be outside and watching all the flowers bloom. Yeah, it is beautiful. Adair and I
1: both live in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and spring came early and pollen is high, but there's greenery everywhere. Flowers are blooming. It's just a beautiful time of year here in the South. It's wonderful. So, something else I like to ask. So, the way I like to think of these conversations, Adair, I like to think of you, me, and the listener, the three of us sitting down somewhere in a coffee shop or around a campfire if it's that time of the year. But if we were holding this conversation today in your favorite coffee
0: shop, where would we be and what's that environment
1: like? Take us there.
0: Oh, okay. So, I have a new favorite coffee shop. It is called Full Commission. Okay. Okay. I love it because the environment is very bright and clean and there's lots of neutral colors. There's white and black and gray cabinets and there's some gold accents and there's it's always crowded. It's a small place and there's always people in there that are working. And so there's this energy of like creativity going on because in my mind, I'm like, all these people are doing what they love or working on something important or you know, generating something new and putting it out there. And so I like being in that place and being in the noise. And
1: I was going to say, so we need a soundtrack of some noise in the background because this is a quiet environment that you and I are in. But if we're in the coffee shop, there's this buzz in the background. Yeah, There's energy in the atmosphere. And yes. the three or four of us are just sitting there sequestered around the table having this intimate conversation. Yes, Okay, and before we go into this conversation, Tyler introduced us because we're both podcasters. And here we are today. You're joining me as a guest on the Higher Purpose Podcast. Tell us about your podcast real quickly. So, because, you know, Tyler said, hey, if you like
0: the Higher Purpose Podcast, you should like the Morning Light Show. Morning Light Show. the premise of the show is to turn off the news in the morning and get some inspiration to start your day off light and bright. And I focus on topics of self-mastery. And that is, you know, really thinking about who you are as a person and being your best self. And that starts with how you wake up every morning, and the energy that you bring to every day. And then Beyond that, it's all about how do you impact other people with that energy? Mm. What's the ripple effect of your energy? And so the intention of the podcast, and I share lots of personal stories and anecdotes about my journey of self-mastery. And I also share themes and things that come from my one-on-one coaching clients or from my small business clients that I work with that just seem to be themes that resonate with people on becoming the best version of themselves because it's a process of becoming. You're never going to arrive at a place where you're like, I am fully baked and formed and ready to go. We're always growing. We're always learning something new. We're always becoming that highest version of ourselves. And so that's what the podcast is all about. They're like 15 to 20 minute episodes max The idea is I want all my listeners to walk away with some thoughts, some questions, some practices that they can use throughout the day to really tune in and be the greatest version of themselves.
1: Awesome. And we're going to come back and tie that into the theme of this conversation. And. Adair, as you well know, you and I, we can talk about all kinds of things because mm-hmm. we have. This is actually just the third conversation we've shared. Tyler introduced us. We jumped on a phone call one Friday afternoon and gosh, you know, we just went all kinds of places with that. Yes. I think it was the following Friday. I'm a guest on your podcast. Yes. And I think that one was probably a little more than 15 minutes. but It was. We may divide it up into two episodes. <laughs> That was fun. So, but today, let's issue ourselves a challenge, at least for the first part of the podcast. Okay, I'm up for it. On employee experience and employee engagement, because that's how Tyler introduced us. And that's kind of a series of conversations that I'm hosting now on the podcast. So, walk us through your journey. How did you get involved with, and do you call
0: what you do around employee experience, employee engagement? What's the difference in how you see those? So great question. Whenever we talked about this last time Kevin, we talked about, you know, employee engagement versus employee experience. I said, "Oh my gosh, that's so funny because I did a talk one time for Sherm on personalizing the employee experience because it really is about I think everything is about energy. Hmm. And when we think about the workplace and what people experience in the workplace, it's a feeling. It is an energy, and that's really what culture is. You know, people say culture is the way that work gets done. I think that's accurate, but I think even more accurate is culture is the energy of the place and the people that you work with. Okay, you got to say
1: that again. That's tweetable. I don't know if you've ever tweeted that. I'm tweeting that.
0: (laughs) Culture is, say that again. Okay, culture is the energy of the people and the workplace and the experience that people have there. It's the way that it feels. Yep. So people say, you know, again, it's the way work gets done. It's the how. And that how is very intangible in a lot of ways. You know, the whole concept of like, you can walk in a room and you can cut the air with a knife. You can yeah. cut the tension with a knife. That's just energy and a feeling. And I'll tell you, I'm going to ask you, I'll ask your listeners one of my favorite questions that you can ask of yourself around energy, are you the type of person who lights up a room when you walk in or when you walk out? Yeah. And that's how it is with work. Are you the type of person who walks into work and you feel light? Yeah. And you feel the light and you are the light for other people? Or are you the type of person who walks into work and you feel the opposite of that?
1: Yeah. Are people glad you came or glad you left?
0: Yes. That's another way to say it, right? That is exactly what we're talking about. And when you asked how I got into this field. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a journey. So I started out in education and I taught Spanish. I taught middle school, high school and community college. And by the time I got to the adult learner realm, I realized I was working a lot with my students on thinking about their life in terms of like a holistic approach, not just school, but like, what do you want your life to look like? What are some intentions and goals that you have for yourself? And I really enjoyed that aspect of my work, which led me to then do a degree in training and performance improvement, which then led me into the world of employee learning and development. And I did leadership development and coaching inside of a healthcare organization for about three years, a really large company. And that was probably, I mean, Obviously, schools have cultures, but in terms of like corporate culture, when I stepped into that role, I started to really get a sense of what corporate culture is. And the irony of it is, at that point, I was working from home. But even working from home, I could absolutely feel the culture of what that organization was. Mm-hmm. And also, because of the role that I played, I was a coach, I was a consultant for the leaders in the organization. And so they talked to me a lot about like team dynamics and what people were feeling. And we did the big employee engagement surveys and used that data and mined that data for how we could make things better and all of that. But I got a real sense of what culture was like. But I'll tell you where I really got clear on culture was whenever my job in that organization shifted and ended up going away because the organization got sold And then I ended up working inside of a much smaller business and they had never had anybody in a learning and development role. And I was able to do lots of leadership classes and some, it was really mostly classes that I did there around emotional intelligence and leadership growth and development. And what also started to happen was people would come into my office and I like just bent to me. And many times there were lots of tears. And I started to hear these stories about how, you know, people were manipulative and, you know, leaders doing and saying things that were like completely inappropriate and all kinds of stuff. And it just felt so toxic. I'm the kind of person that can walk into a place and make the best of it no matter what it is. And so that was my habit anywhere that I ever worked. However, I started to see through all these team members, you know, just how messed up things were. Mm, mm. And so that was really my first foray in that. And I actually ran the employee engagement survey in that organization and did all the focus groups around employee engagement and experience. And so it just became really clear that, you know, when people feel inspired and cared for and connected they are willing to go to the ends of the earth for the organization that they work for. And when they do not, then you've lost, I just don't even want to think about how much wasted time, energy, money there was when those employees were unhappy. There was so much churn. And so fortunately from there, I got to completely flip my experience of culture and be the ambassador, the basically the chief culture officer. My title was chief inspiration officer for an organization that was highly innovative, very caring for their employees, and definitely the best culture I've ever worked mm-hmm. in. And that's where we used the Tiny Pulse engagement tool. And we measured engagement every week. And okay. we took that data every week and we started to use that. So that's really how I got into the field. And I've seen toxic versus non-toxic mm-hmm. in a workplace. And I just know how much more can be yeah. generated from that positive place.
1: Okay. So let me, before we go into the good experience, let's talk about some of these not so good experiences. You know, and it's interesting because I heard you say something and you and I are wired alike that way. We're able to make the best of even bad situations. But let's be honest, not everybody is wired like that. Most people are
0: not. Right. So
1: the toll that takes on the workforce when toxicity is tolerated, I guess. So the toxic place, the one before the good place. Yeah. Did they make any advancements? Or when you all were doing the measurements, what was the response? Because I want to contrast that.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. So the biggest contrast that I've learned is that, and I think you have a lot of people in leadership roles that listen to this, yeah. is that it always goes back to the energy of the leaders. Mm. And even more specifically, it goes to the energy of whoever the founder or CEO of the company is. And that's what I found in that toxic workplace was that that particular CEO, he just didn't really care if his people were happy. He just wanted the work to be done. He was very authoritarian. Yeah. He was very heady. He just didn't care. And he was in it for profits Yeah, and wasn't worried about purpose or people or passion or any of those things.
1: I had a friend that told me this two weeks ago. The boss of the company, they were, not, I don't want to even identify gender here, came into a meeting and said, listen. <laughs> We've got a morale problem. I don't care about people. Just fix the morale problem. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that would be about like the CEO, you know. And you're kind of like, uh, um, okay, I'm not sure how we do that because the morale, the morale is the energy.
0: Yeah, and it, by it is your people exactly. So I know it's something that's always been there and has mm-hmm. up until now not there hasn't been as much weight placed on it. Mm-hmm. Now I think we understand that weight and how important it is. Okay, so you said something
1: earlier. You know, you were talking about this organization that you were working with, and a lot of your work was remote. And even as a remote worker, you felt the culture. Mm-hmm. How was the culture communicated to you as a remote worker? Because, you know, we have, wow, increasingly we have remote workers and a lot of organizations are trying to figure out, well, you know, what do we do with these remote workers and how do we plug remote workers into the culture or Mm -hmm. how do we export the culture out to them? And, you know, there are all these kinds of conversations. The point is it's happening whether you are aware of it or not. (laughs) Exactly. Whether you're being intentional You have a culture, whether you've sought to have one or not. So just riff on that a minute, Adair.
0: Well, a lot of it came through the conversations with the people that I had. So because I was in a coaching role and a consultation role, I was in conversation with people all the time. And in those conversations, it would be really clear where the focus Mm. and the energy was for them, for their team, for their leader. And that was very, you know, indicative. So it was really clear that it was a culture of numbers. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be a culture of people, but everything around the people was still always tied to the numbers. Mm. And I'm not saying that they're, I love measuring engagement. I mean, that's what I did at this last organization that it had, you know, we won the happiest company award when I was there. It's just the stuff that's happening every day in the conversations and the way that people approach you And when it's always about just numbers, Mm. then it deflates the energy of people. And when you really remember that it's about how people feel, Mm. I mean, it's all connected. When the energy of the culture is good, the energy of your people is going to be good and vice versa. And that means that they're going to be productive and Mm. engaged. And the biggest thing is, you know, I hear companies I work with now talk about, oh, we've lost X number of clients or our customer you know, experience is not where we want it to be. And I'm like, well, where's your employee experience? Because if you're not taking great care of your people, they're not gonna take great care of your people.
1: So, so, so true. You and I've talked about this before. Anytime I am in an organization, and I'm talking about as a customer, as a client, mm-hmm. and I have great customer experience, I want to peel back the onion because I know this is a company that has an amazing culture and is doing great things to care for their employees. Yes. Because you cannot have great customer experience without great employee experience and the vice versa. A hundred
0: percent. If the customer experience sucks, I know why. Yes, a hundred percent. And it's so interesting because, yes, I mean, and I feel that all the time. I can't remember where I was recently. But I definitely had an experience recently where I was like, well, that person put like no effort out to make my experience more pleasant. You know, like something happens and sometimes you have those companies that will like bend over backwards To make sure that you have an awesome experience. And I didn't have that experience. And that was my first thought was like, Oh my gosh, I bet their employees are so disengaged. And then I had an experience in another one of my favorite coffee shops. I was sitting there waiting for a client and this man was sitting beside me and he was so friendly and he just struck up a conversation with me and we started talking and come to find out he is a pilot for Southwest. Well, Southwest has like one of the best customer experiences and employee experiences in the world. And it just dawned on me like, man, this guy lives the energy of this Mm -hmm. when he's on the plane, when he's on the ground, wherever he is, because it is who he is as a person. And I think that's the thing. And the distinction is we're whole people. We're not one person at work and one person at home. So what does it feel like when you pull all of your best energy together? And how do you show up at work when you're like that? Mm. And when you're not feeling that, that's when you get an experience like I had in the more toxic work environment that I worked in. I know we kind of went from like talking about the remote employee experience into this. But yeah, it's all still the same thing. And even when I was remote, I would have to come together in person with these people you know, fairly regularly and those things that I thought were just reinforced. But again, I can't say it enough, the power of a leader.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you a couple of questions about that before we start talking about the happiest place to work. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great award. But two things, two questions I want to ask you. One, now you work in a consulting role and you have the opportunity to interface and engage with multiple companies like I do. Yes. When you encounter a new company, how long does it take you to get a feel for the culture? How is it that you get a feel for the culture?
0: It's very fast. And I have a good intuition. So to me, it's a light feeling. It's expansive. And if it's really amazing, I'm in awe. Mm Mm-hmm. And anytime I feel in awe, which is the same feeling I get oftentimes when I'm in nature and I see something beautiful, or I see one of my daughters do something that's like really, really cool, and I'm like, I can't believe you just did that. And I'm just that feeling of awe that you feel that is when I know it's a very expansive culture that is lived by every single person in the organization. Because if it is not, then Yes, there may be some positive culture happening, but there's not that like world class, like Southwest Airlines type of energy, which is, you know, up there at the pinnacle. It's a body feeling for me. And I'll tell you, everybody can feel it if they will invite themselves to feel it. And if, you know, I'll ask clients questions if they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about with like the feeling in my body or the energy of it. If I ask enough questions, you know, people always get it. I'm like, what sensation do you get in your body? And it could be, you know, like a lump in your throat or your stomach turning or feeling like your head's going to spin off or whatever it is. And once you can kind of get people to think about the physical feeling they feel, they could often attach it with like, what's the emotional sense that this environment is bringing me? So it's not like I'm extraterrestrial or special in that sense. It's just tuning into that and inviting that to be part of your life,
1: tuned in and aware. I mean, that's all it takes, right? And you walk in and you, so back to this energy conversation, not just people emit energy, organizations emit energy. So the people in organizations. So when you just walk in, you kind of can feel if the receptionist, just got chewed out for the way they handled the call, the guests before you, right? And that energy is like, oh, wow, this is a toxic place. Mm -hmm. And I can contrast that. I always think of the time I visited Chick-fil-A, not the headquarters building, but the office across the street from the headquarters. Mm. And we walked in and I mean, that receptionist that greeted us was just amazing. Mm. we sat down to have a conversation with Mark Miller, who was the senior VP of leadership. And he said, what's on your mind? I said, well, let's start with how do you do that? How do you get that to happen every time? And, you know, the answer was, hey, we focus on people selection and we invest a lot of time to make sure we're getting the right people and then getting those people in the right place. But I mean, the energy, you just walked in the door and there are times you sense that energy. Absolutely. So question then about this to tie these two together. You talked about this ties to the energy of the leader, the founder, the CEO. Two part question on that. One, if you're new to an organization, how do you sense the energy from the top? Mm-hmm. And then if there is a CEO listening to this who thinks, hmm, I wonder what energy I'm emitting. Or I know what energy I'm emitting and I'd like to change it. Let's talk about those a moment.
0: That's really great. So the first thing I thought of when you said, you know, about the receptionist being so friendly and so energetic and you feeling so good when you walked into that Chick-fil-A scenario is, and when you said the whole, like the other receptionist just getting chewed out, yeah. it's the energy, the difference between people who feel shut down mm-hmm. and stifled and misaligned with the truth of who they are versus people who feel that they can show up to work, fully be themselves, and be fully accepted. Yeah. Because that's really what people are looking for. It is psychological safety, if you're familiar with that term. And there is research out there, CEOs, you can Google this. Google psychological safety, how to create psychological safety. And you will find lots of research on this. You know, the, the term psychological safety came from, I think it was Amy Edmondson out of Harvard who helped facilitate the study at Google where they found, you know, the teams that function best have these certain qualities. And one of the most important ones was psychological safety. So if you're a CEO or even just a leader of a team, you have to make sure that everybody feels like they can come to work, be themselves and be fully accepted. When they are not, they are stifled, shut down, and their full creative energy is not even available to them. And so that's what you need to create. You create that through listening. You create that through believing that the people inside your business are the best source of ideas. They're the closest to the customers. They're the closest to the team members that are going to help them generate and produce whatever that idea is. So it's listening, it's knowing that they have the best ideas, it's taking out all ego. Once ego and posturing and I'm the boss and I'm authoritarian and you need to do what I tell you to do because I have the best ideas, once that starts to happen, your culture erodes so, so fast, like so fast. You do that one time and you're going to have to make up for that with like 10 Really awesome things because that's that whole John Gottman research. It takes 10 positives in a marriage situation, and I think it happens with any relationship. It takes 10 positives to combat one negative because we have a negativity bias in our brains. So you have to go over the top with the psychological safety and the positivity in order to create the ripple effect of that. Okay, so what I
1: hear you saying is. And we're going to dive into this in just a moment. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll never get there. I dare not in this company. No. <laughs> that at the root of employee engagement is not a gimmick, it's the condition of psychological safety.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And so that looks different in every organization and every culture because mm-hmm. every culture is unique. I mean, these are the conversations I've had with a lot of friends lately. You know, companies want the blue pill to take and it just absolves all the problems, you know, and let's do what Google did because obviously they figured it out. So just yeah, give us the Google right. Playbook. What's and their blueprint?
0: We want to do what they did. Yeah. Right.
1: Or tiny pulse. Oh, all we have to do. You mean we just have to start measuring
0: Oh man, if it were only that easy. Yeah,
1: so if you'd have gone, so I'm gonna ask you this question. The company before the happiest workplace company, if they would have done Tiny Pulse, how would that have worked for them?
0: It would not have worked. And that was my core message when I spoke at the TinyCon conference was you are not implementing an engagement tool to increase or enhance your culture. You have to have a good, solid, positive culture in place and then measure it and make it next level before that's going to be effective. And that became really clear because even in some of the conversations that were had in my session, it was like, it was exactly what you're saying. You know, my leader thought we could put this in place and it would make our culture better. And I'm like, well, that's really dangerous because when you get the data that comes from tiny pulse, if you don't actually do something about it, then it becomes a giant, a big joke,
1: Okay. Right? So an analogy just hit me as I'm listening to you. Yeah. As if a the thermometer will cure your sickness. Mm-hmm. All it's going to do is tell you the temperature. It's not yeah. going to tell you what's the cause or what's the solution. The Perfect. thermometer just takes the temperature.
0: Yeah. And then there's a lot that has to be done to get that fever to come down. Exactly.
1: Tiny (laughs) Pulse is one of many tools. We're not here advertising Tiny Pulse, although we would encourage you to check them out. Yes. It's the best one I've used. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But it's a tool. It is not the fix. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's Mm -hmm. a tool. So let's go back to the organization you were part of Mm -hmm. that, you know, was awarded the Happiest Company Award. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things you saw there you were a part of there cuz i know you all did some really creative things mm-hmm. that impacted the engagement and the broader experience so yes. let's talk about those before we run out of time
0: well the two founders of the organization had read a book called the dream manager okay by matthew kelly and the premise of the book it's a parable so it's a story about a janitorial organization that has really high turnover and not the profits aren't there, all those types of things. And I guess the CEO has an insight about, well, what if we help people achieve their personal goals at work? Mm. How would that shift our culture? And so the book lays out this whole program of having a dream manager. The two founders had read that book and then were like, wow, we want that type of person inside of our organization, but we're going to do it our way. They didn't want to do it exactly like the book wanted to do it. They wanted to have more team focused meetings, though so everybody's focused on achieving their personal goals, that you do it in your team environment. So anyway, I found that job description through total serendipity and was super excited whenever, you know, after probably six weeks, we negotiated everything and I got started And so for the last, let's say it was about two years I was there, we did quarterly goal meetings with all the teams in the organization. When I started, they had about 65 employees. And when I left, they had about 100. And I facilitated team quarterly goal meetings with the teams. And we talked about successes and concerns of the team over the last quarter. And we also put a lot of energy on helping people achieve their personal goals. And that could be anything from losing weight, taking the trip of a lifetime, reuniting with a loved one that they hadn't seen in a long time. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of all the things that you know people achieved getting their yoga teacher instruction certification, all kinds of stuff that people had either on their bucket list or just in the back of their mind that they wanted to achieve that they never really got around to. And what happened as a result of that, first of all, it took, now that I'm doing this in other organizations, I've learned how to create the psychological safety and I'll do things a little differently to make sure that that psychological safety is in place as we go. It took about a year for people to really get it. So that's four meetings. It took them about that long to like really say, oh my gosh, like this isn't just a flavor of the month thing that we're doing. Like this is real and this is important and this is now like part of my role in the organization. But what happened as a result of that is people were so personally invested Mm -hmm. in the work that they did that they went above and beyond all the time. So this whole idea of like discretionary effort to put a fancy term on it, they would go above and beyond, not just for their job and their role, but for their team and for other teams in the organization. It was this ripple effect like I've never seen before. So it was an above and beyond like I've never seen. It was a care and a concern for one another and help achieving goals. Like that was part of what we talked about all the time is like, how are you going to help each other achieve your goals? What resources can you provide? Who can you connect this person to, to be able to achieve their goal? So really simple example, but we had a farm program. It was a property management company and they rolled out this, they're very innovative. So they rolled out this farm program where they had chickens and crops on the actual apartment building that the residents could use. And so we had one woman who wanted to do the chickens and she needed this chicken coop constructed, but she was like, I can't do this chicken coop. And the other guy's like a construction expert. And he's like, Oh, I'll come do that. That'll take me like, you know, the better part of an afternoon to get done. And he put her chicken coop together for her and stuff like that. I mean, all the time, Mm. lots of connection. The other thing that happened was we started doing their performance appraisals as part of those. So if anybody wanted a raise or if they wanted a promotion at the end of the goal meeting, they would actually have to present for that. So instead of doing annual reviews, you had an opportunity to get a raise or a promotion, if you felt like you deserved it and had achieved what you need to achieve to get there, which was really powerful because basically you're having the team vote on whether or not that person is going to get to the next level. So lots of really positive ripple effects came out of that program. Okay.
1: How did it benefit the business?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is the discretionary effort. So, you know, you have people who are going above and beyond and giving their like blood, sweat and tears to the organization, you know, overtime, weekend hours. It was kind of that whatever it takes mentality. Mm -hmm. They had on their like Google reviews. For them, it was really important to get positive Google reviews. And they were going for, you know, this whole focus on five-star reviews from their customers. That went up probably two points the Mm. time I was there, which is really a lot. But they knew that as they were caring for their employees, their employees then started to take that care to the people that they served. So a lot of energy and focus around the experience, the customer experience. And we even got to the point where we were helping some of the customers to do these types of goal meetings and goal setting. Mm.
1: Wow. Wow, yeah, I've heard this pass through my head three times while we've been talking. So I'm just going to interject sure. the conversation. It's what Bob Chapman says, and it's the insight he gained through manufacturing. Mm. We paid people for years for their hands. Yes, we could have had their heads and hearts for free if only we knew how to ask, or if we only knew how to create the conditions that invited and allowed people, made it safe for people to bring their whole selves to work. Yes. Because when you get the whole self of a person,
0: creativity increases, innovation goes up, right? These are the things you see. It's phenomenal. Oh, and I mean, not to mention that we won Happiest Company through Tiny Pulse. So I started in May The Tiny Pulse had started back a few months before that, I think in February. And we found out in, I think it was January the next year, that even though we had only implemented for 10 months, we won the happiest company in our vertical through the Tiny Pulse software. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing, again, how do all those things transfer? Well, you can also look at, they went from 65 employees to 100 employees. You know, I'm not really sure on what their numbers were, but I know they grew, They definitely grew because they wouldn't have had to have more people if their profits didn't grow. So all of these things are connected. And like you're saying, it's hands, heart, and head. It's all of those things in conjunction. And when people feel like they can show up as their full selves, it's unbelievable what happens. And the other thing I'll say is the people that are misaligned with your culture, when you have that strong of a culture, they will self-select out of your organization very rarely did we ever have to fire someone. Yeah, It just got to the point where they're like, I can't keep up with this. I can't do this or this is not for me. And they would self-select out, which really makes that process of like, you know, losing people Mm. much easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Let's land this plane. I'm looking at the clock like, wow. Oh yeah. We could go on forever.
1: (laughs) We could. What would you like to say to summarize this conversation and leave people with a thought that will maybe resonate and Mm. be provocative for them as they think about employee engagement, employee experience?
0: Yeah. So leaders and really everybody, but especially leaders, I want you thinking about the energy that you take to work every day and how that is affecting other people. and. How much psychological safety are you creating on your team? How vulnerable are you willing to be? And how much are you willing to leave your ego checked at the door in order to bring out the best in your people? So I want you really thinking about and becoming aware of what your ripple effect is. Mm. Do some research on psychological safety and then just start asking your people. Do some 360 evaluation. If you don't have a coach that you're working with, I highly recommend that for leaders as well is having somebody that helps you stay accountable and aligned not just to your energy and your ripple effect, but to that purpose that you know Kevin talks a lot about is are you doing your best work? Are you being the greatest version of you? And that whole process of becoming. I think about... You know, how are we becoming our best self every day? How are we living our best life every day? Not because we're selfish, but because when we do that, we can be our best self for other people. And we make a massive positive impact on other people. Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome, Adair. So, two things I want to invite you to do here. There are people that are wanting to get in touch with you. So how do they do that? And then how do people that are wanting to boost their energy in the morning do that through the Morning Light Podcast? Where do they find those two things? Awesome.
0: Perfect. So my website is firstleadyou.com. And you can find all about what I do in terms of one-on-one coaching. I call it self-mastery coaching. It's this whole life coaching. It's not, you know, just a career coach or whatever that is. It's kind of this whole, you're a whole person. So we're going to coach as such. And the work I do with the small businesses as well. And then the morning light show, I podcast every day. It's usually no more than 15 to 20 minutes. And like I said, it's a tidbit that's going to help you start off your day light and bright so that you can be the positive energy and ripple effect for everybody that you encounter in the day.
1: All right. All right. Adair, thank you so much. And gosh, we'll have to do some other
0: conversation real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on your show. Oh, absolutely.
1: Wow. Do you feel the energy? You know, I'll let you in on a little secret. Two things that heavily direct the focus and flow of the work I do nowadays, and that's energy and relationships. And you experienced both of those in this conversation and even in how this conversation came to be. It was very relational. I love the way Adair describes culture as the energy of the people and your workplace and how she describes the impact of culture. When people are inspired, cared for and connected, they will go to the ends of the earth for you. Now, that's what the academics and business press call discretionary engagement. I call it awesomeness. Your culture is either allowing people to experience and express awesomeness or stifle and suppress it. And as Adair pointed out, if you're the leader of the organization, your energy is affecting everyone else. Well, another one is a humans first perspective. And I love that Adair has real life experience validating this. It's something that Mark LaBusque shared in episode 89 from real life experience as well. People are whole humans. And when you begin to integrate personal goals into job performance, it invites and allows them to bring more of their whole self to work and creates a lift that ripples throughout the organization. Well, thanks for joining today. If there's something on your mind from today's conversation, I'd love to know what it is. Please share it on social. Email me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com Or pick up the phone and call me. Yes, some people still use the phone for telephone calls. The number 678-744-5111. encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you wanting to grow as a human's first leader and connect in meaningful conversation with other human's first leaders? join the Humans First Book Club where they dive deep into a book a month and engage the authors in conversation. Go to humansfirstbookclub.com